Hooray, hurrah, once again, uh, the Greg Poops Film Club convenes here in Los Angeles' most enchanting cinematic confabulation, the Los Feliz Three Theater, theater here located in fabulous Los Feliz for the American Cinematheque. Uh, today, the Greg Poops Film Club is showing its Christmas presentation of the Jewish classic from 1988, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Crossing Delancey. This is where you applaud here. Hooray. Did someone bring me something? Are these gifts? And no one's going to talk to me? Okay, I'll do it on my own. D did someone hand me th this? Are these from someone in the audience? Yeah. They can't be from the Cinematheque. Because they're a nonprofit organization. And they're not allowed to give gifts or show anyone kindness. That was a joke, but please maintain your respectful silence as we go on. D did you bring this for me, my darling? The woman who spoke up earlier? Uh, they appear to be... Oh, desserts to die for. Are you here today? Yeah. Hi, darling. How are you? Oh, I'm so well. A Desserts to Die For is our good buddy, and um, she's brought us scary good Pop-Tarts, ladies and gentlemen. And they're not just regular Pop-Tarts, the kind that you get at the 7-Eleven, and then eat them when you're high and ashamed, alone in your room at night, wearing very little clothing, and slather them with the margarine that you have left over. These are homemade Pop-Tarts. These are homemade Pop-Tarts, uh, which is, was my name, by the way, all through school. Thank you. Uh, I really don't mind the gift of laughter, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, I know it's a film place, and we're very, very serious about film, but I'm a comedian, and this is a fucking comedy show. So, yeah, that's how we play here. Exactly. Let's go, indeed. When I get a homemade Pop-Tart at Christmas, I can't be more excited. Thank you, Deb. I really appreciate it. Thank you for driving all the way down from Ventura to see... Uh, um, this fabulous Jewish Christmas classic. It takes place during the Christmas holidays, Crossing Delancey, but it is, of course, focused on <laughs> the Jewish experience, particularly one that's disappeared in New York, uh, the Jewish experience that uh, used to exist in the Delancey neighborhood uh, on the Lower East Side there, where uh, Jews gathered all day long uh, to uh, kvetch and kibitz and whatnot. Uh, I know there's probably not a lot. Of, I don't know how many Jews are here today. Thank you. There, as we say in, in uh, hip hop, where are my Jews at? Um, thank you for coming out for the, for the goyim that are here today. Thank you for experiencing this. Uh, it'll be painless for the most part. Uh, like almost all movies you see, made by Jews. So everything will be cool, all right? Uh, this is Hollywood. Uh, what happened here was uh, there was a land bridge that connected um, Eastern Europe um, to uh, Coenga Boulevard. And a bunch of Jews crossed over on it and invented film on the way. And that's the story of Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. And here we are some hundred years later, uh, uh, dig digging the scene uh, and, and, and wondering about that whole Paramount uh, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery merger that sounds so exciting because we can be down to one company that makes show business in this town if we really work at it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, again, uh, if I'm going too fast, please, I'll slow down. Mm. So Christmas time, as they say, uh, and I, I've, I don't know about you guys, but I, I sit around and get high and watch uh, Christmas movies at home um, because I have to work a lot on the road and I really don't have time to. So when I get back, I've watched every single Christmas Carol that's ever existed, including, and I don't know if you guys remember this one, the Mr. Magoo Christmas Carol. Mr. Magoo was a cartoon from the 60s that was voiced by Jim Backus. And Jim Backus, uh, for you film buffs, uh, plays the father in... Um, 
uh, uh, Rubble Without a Cause with James Dean, but also fantastically played Thurston Howell III, the millionaire on the television show Gilligan's Island. And Jim Black is dark like this. Like that. He had a fantastic delivery. And um, Mr. Magoo was a character who couldn't see, and that was supposed to be so funny. Um, this was the old days uh, when evidently nearsightedness was uh, about as funny as, as, as things could get. As, an, as afflictions go, I think we were pretty much leaning on the nearsightedness. So he would drive and then he would like hit another car. And then when the car would hit him, he'd go, Roadhog! <laughs> like that. And they did a Christmas carol where his character, Mr. Magoo, was Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, a lot of you are, are completely perplexed at this point. Imagine how I feel. I feel like I'm 150 years old and I'm explaining what writing was to the generation after this. Uh, because when the history of film is uh, poorly tweeted, uh, this picture will go down as one of the biggies. So I've seen that one and then there's a Patrick Stewart Christmas Carol, uh, which is all right, except I, I don't know if you're like me, when I watch Patrick Stewart and he's like, oh, the workhouse is not still in order. You're like, oh God, you're gonna give a command and the enterprise is gonna have to be involved in this. And then there's one with George C. Scott where he's Ebenezer Scrooge, which I'm not really sure what the thinking was on that other than George C. Scott was perennially angry in motion pictures. And so therefore could also be stingy as well. Um, it's like he played George S. Patton in the movie and so, now you've given him a top hat and sideburns and made him mean to Victorian children as opposed to killing Nazis. Uh, we're going to move on here. But I'm gonna, I want you to know that I have no sense of embarrassment. So however quiet this room goes, I'm, <laughs> I'm as happy as a clam. My ego's fucking huge, you guys. It takes more than one Christmas crowd of quiet people to harsh my mail. I will leave this place fully intact, while you, of course, will have a plethora of new things to think about. And uh, will have finally nibbled at the gingerbread uh, man of knowledge, where I explained to you uh, evidently some unbelievably arcane film facts like George C. Scott. Uh, there's also a Christmas Carol with Michael Caine called The Muppets Christmas Carol, where uh, the premise is the Muppets are Bob Cratchit and all the Dickens characters. You're aware of the movie The Christmas Carol, right? Before we go any further, I feel like I've jumped into deep water here. So imagine there was a TikTok video of a person pretending to be poor or whatever, and then all of a sudden they danced and they'd been lame before. Uh, the Christmas Carol with uh, Michael Caine is superb for several reasons, one of which is Michael Caine is um, absolutely not playing like he's with a bunch of puppets on sticks. Um, he, his uh, motif and uh, raison d'etre through the whole picture is he said that he's pretending he's in the Royal Shakespeare Company. And so his Ebenezer Scrooge is uh, un unceasingly angry and mad. Uh, parsimonious and, and, and vitriolic um, with a bunch of puppets around him at all times. So there's scenes in it where you're like, oh my God, you're being insanely cruel. And I think he thought that would be funny, uh, which in fact it is, if you've ever seen The Muppet Christmas Carol. The, the juxtaposition of him screaming at Muppets and going, maybe they'll find themselves out of a job! And you're like, it's a little inappropriate, but I'm going with it on this one. 
Thank you. That was my Michael Caine impression, ladies and gentlemen. And Merry Christmas to you. More emotion. Merry bloody Christmas. Um, one of the things that makes Christmas a joy here in Los Angeles is that people are extra special big assholes during the Christmas holiday here, uh, particularly if you're driving uh, or if you're trying to park somewhere and uh, maybe go into a store or whatnot. People will make an extra special effort to cut you off and be super, super, super angry if you take what they perceive as their parking place. Um, I was passed here uh, by a hybrid going the speed of Halley's fucking Comet um, uh, uh, on Franklin uh, and passed on the right. Now, if you're gonna pass me on the right, going the speed of fucking light, I'm gonna Ben Hur you into the curb so fucking hard. Yeah, this will be a very special Christmas for you. Uh, I don't know why you think headed, being headed to the House of Pies is as important as you do. You'd better be headed to the Center for Disease Control with a cure for leukemia in a cooler in your back seat if you're gonna go that fucking fast and endanger everyone's goddamn life during Christmas time just so you can go to the House of Pies, you fucking douchebag. But then this neighborhood, that's the story of this neighborhood, isn't it, really? There's uh, unlimited fuckery and uh, almost uh, what you might call an armada of douche canoes here at all times. There's a lot of uh, guys in this neighborhood who affect a kind of 70s mane where they have like uh, floppy uh, uh, loose perms and facial hair and, and, and they're wearing a man bag. And, and it's like it's 1974. And uh, I'm assuming their grooming is the same way, like just a giant hairy thing going on below the equator. And uh, I always think, what lucky lady is gonna end up with them at La Poubelle later tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I appreciate you coming out here for this, and uh, if you if you uh, if you experience Christmas the way I do here in Los Angeles, um, it it's an awesome time of year because it gets very quiet for like two whole days, and we forget about show business for just but a moment. Um, and of course, if anybody here is in show business, you know that we had an enormous strike. Uh, they called it a strike, but really it was the producers saying, we don't want to give anyone any money or pay any actors to be in anything or pay any writers to write in anything anymore. We think we can do it on our phones now. <laughs> and then they found out at the end of the day they couldn't really. And so they've decided to merge all of the uh, uh, entertainment companies into one big company called Paramount None. And you'll be able to pay extra fees to watch shit that you used to watch for free. Uh, and I'm sure that's just gonna lead to a, an enormous um, uh, renaissance of creativity here uh, in the Hollywood area. Because if there's one thing that's been proven time and time again, and this movie is one of the movies that helps prove that, it's that um, the people who control the money here in Hollywood have enormous foresight and often have nothing but art on their mind. When they get up in the morning and they're the head of a studio, they think to themselves, how can I enrich everyone's lives today and make children smile at the end of the day while watching something that was well-written and put together and beautifully cast with a crew and a cast of people that were very happy on the set and they were under no compunction to, uh, to work extra hard or, or work extra shitty hours or have awful trailers or, or be abused by their, uh, uh, their betters or park a million miles away and have to go to, to fucking Astro Burger for lunch. Uh, they, that's what they think when they get up in the morning. They think, and, and that's what brings me to my point. Um, 
about Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol is the story of a man who's parsimonious in the extreme, to the point where his dead partner in business visits him to tell him that a series of spirits are going to visit him to review his life up till now, to show him what an inconceivable bag of rat fuck he's been every moment. And at the end of the uh, story, he wakes up and he, he still has a second chance in life and he changes utterly and becomes generous and kind and tolerant and helps Tiny Tim live. Uh, and Charles Dickens, who's a very manipulative and awesome writer, at the end of the book and at the end of the movie, often Tiny Tim, who did not die, right? Because he wants you, the audience, to be like happy when you leave, even though you've watched a horrible 19th century industrialist who surely has coal mines and, and cotton mills and whatever and is abusing children ceaselessly, um, has all of a sudden decided to be nice and so everything's cool at the end. Um, what are you getting at, Greg? Um, it's a great story. And it's a marvelous story that speaks to the absolute heart of humanity. If you could peel back the layers of all of the terrible veneer that we all walk around with all the time and get to the absolute pulsating center of all of our lives, we would love to be the people who the milk of human kindness flows through each and every one so that we're bound by the anima that connects one human being to another and that we do nothing but send awesome gray-green uh, gray vibes to everyone else and their lives fill up with joy and their faces light up with expectation and hilarity. And yet what really happens is everyone watches Christmas Carol here. I'm certain that some of the studio heads have seen it over the years. And then get right back up the next day and go, yeah, good story. <laughs> That's pretty fucking cute. As if. Um, which brings me to the Republican Party. So here we are with an entire party uh, that controls the media. I know a lot of you uh, might have been told by your parents, particularly if you're from the Midwest, uh, that uh, the, the media is liberal. Well, if you've been watching the media or looking at the media over the last five, six years, you'll have noticed that that hasn't really materialized at any point. Uh, liberal meaning that they would take the side of the downtrodden, the poor, uh, homosexuals, transsexuals, uh, women, and, and, and the disabled in, in order to um, further their cause. Instead, what you see from the media every day is um, um, Trump's diapers are full. Awesome news about this at 11. Um, Trump angry uh, that he's under arrest. Um, and, and these are the awesome things he's going to do about it. Um, during COVID, when 100, 1 million people died in the United States, uh, not one newspaper in the country asked that he should resign. Not one TV network went on TV and went, you know, he should really leave because he's doing a very poor job. So the whole idea that the liberals media and controlled by Jews, which it is, of course, every morning we get up, we put on our horns and our tails and we control the media as much as we possibly can and try to poison uh, the white Midwesterners um, who seems very susceptible to, uh, to their poisoning uh, and convince them that um, transsexuals are not only coming to their classroom, that there's cat boxes. Uh, so I, I guess uh, art can convince people of some things and art can certainly alleviate a great deal of pain. And art is the thing that connects all of us. That is why, in fact, we're here uh, to watch some commerce that met with art. Um, but I would love if the, the moral of Christmas Carol ever soaked through to a lot of the people in this country that purport to be Christians, because it's supposed to be a story of Christian redemption, right? It is, in fact, supposed to be the day uh, that Jesus Christ, who is a savior, 
uh, to a lot of people. Um, as uh, Chuck D once said, Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. Uh, <laughs> motherfucker was racist, straight up and plain. Motherfuck him and John Wayne. So I, uh, at the risk of sounding like Ari Melber there, uh, uh, I, I would love it if, if it did uh, seep through a little bit. And that's why we're showing this picture today. Um, uh, I'm reading Barbara Streisand's biography now, and I started it um, a couple of months ago. It's extraordinarily long. Uh, Barbara Streisand's biography is longer than uh, anything by Thomas Pynchon. It's, um, uh, or, or David Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace writes like essays in a pamphlet compared to how long this book is. This book is really, really something. It's a, uh, it, uh, I, when I was little, we had a, the World Book Encyclopedia, and it were A to Z, right? And so each chapter was A, B, C, D, and then in the old time encyclopedias, it would be A to L, O to Z, right? Which is how Frank Baum got the title for The Wizard of Oz. He was looking at his encyclopedias in his office when he was writing, and he saw O-Z, and that's how he named Oz from the second volume of the encyclopedia. Um, Barbara Streisand's book is longer than that. Um, you could have, I was afraid when I opened it up that it was gonna say, the world was a, a swirling ball of gas on the front page. Or um, first there was darkness, and the Lord said, let there be light because it's long. But she makes several good points in the 1,000 pages. I'm up to page 800 and something now, and uh, we're getting closer. We, I think we've just gotten married to James Brolin, so we're up to 1998. <laughs> now it just occurs to me that 1998 is, what, some almost 30 years. I've still got to go. Uh, Barbara Streisand says this in her book. By the way, she was one of the first women to write and direct and produce her own pictures, right? She wrote, uh, uh, or she put together Yentl, um, also The Prince of Tides, uh, The Mirror Has Two Faces. Um, she produced A Star Is Born, not the Lady Gaga one, but her one with Chris Christopherson in it. Which, by the way, if you have nothing doing this holiday season, it's worth it for the bad rock music. Uh, Chris Christopherson is super, super fucking foxy in it, and he's got his shirt off through the whole movie. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a Chris Christopherson movie, but acting's not the prerequisite for those. He's really bitching and has an awesome chest, and he'll go like, <laughs> That's like a scene with him. <clears throat> and and um, Barbara Streisand has a fantastic um, loose Jewish perm through the whole movie. And the last 20 minutes of A Star is Born, the Barbara Streisand one, is a close-up of her. Um, much like Kevin Costner's uh, The Postman, which, thank you, which is another project where someone uh, got a hold of the reins and decided the movie was going to be about them a lot. There is a scene in The Postman where Olivia Williams uh, is going to get with Kevin Costner, The Postman. It's a post-apocalyptic tale. Uh, the world is no longer... Uh, uh, together and he finds a bag of mail and decides to wander around the country delivering it. I don't even know what the fucking plot is. And Tom Petty shows up in the middle of the movie in this post-apocalyptic world where people don't have houses and shit, uh, which puts Paige to the notion that he had to live 
that he didn't want to live like a refugee because in the movie he indeed is living like a refugee. And uh, Olivia Williams, the beautiful British actress, is in the picture. And at one point she's going to sleep with uh, Kevin Costner. And there's a close-up of Kevin Costner and he says, you're so beautiful. Now, I'm not a movie director, but were I talking about the woman in the movie or the other person in the partnership, I might show them while I was saying, you're so beautiful. <laughs> However, Kevin chose to show himself. I think he, I don't even know if he directed it. It might have been, what's his name, Fandango. Uh, in any case, uh, she said this, uh, Barbara Streisand, a man is commanding, a woman is demanding, a man is forceful, a woman is pushy, a man is uncompromising, a woman's a ball breaker, a man's a perfectionist, a woman's a pain in the ass. He's assertive, she's aggressive, he strategizes, she manipulates, he shows leadership, she's controlling, he's committed, she's obsessed, he's persevering, she's relentless, he sticks to his guns, she's stubborn. If a man wants to get it right, he's looked up to and respected. If a woman wants to get it right, she's difficult and impossible, right? And so this is where we are. Um, now there are women directors. Women directors have directed Barbie and Greta Gerwig isn't Jewish, by the way. Uh, I looked it up for this movie. I, like you, thought she might be because of her suspicious Jewish name. She did, however, say in an interview that she had a lot of Jewish friends and would go to Shabbat every Friday, and that's the atmosphere she wanted for Barbie. And Noah Bombach, her partner who wrote the movie, who she just married, is Jewish, so she's in on a pass now, on a Jewish pass. Uh, Joan Micklin Silver is a, a, a woman director, and she was an independent director. And she made a picture called Hester Street that she had to get together and try to uh, get the money raised for it. Her husband helped her raise the money for it. It's a story of Jewish immigrants coming to New York and they speak Yiddish. Now, I know there's a lot going on and I'm not gonna go into it with the anti-Semitism right now, but I will say this. My father was in World War II, that's how fucking old I am, and uh, he was in the Coast Guard and my father was Jewish and he had a white Jew fro and blue eyes. So he had that scary Jewish thing going on. <laughs> he, he looked like Rodney Dangerfield, to give you any idea. And uh, uh, he joined the Coast Guard in 1943 and they sent the FBI to our house because we were so fucking German. And everyone spoke Yiddish at, at my grandparents' house growing up in New York, in Brooklyn. And so he had to be investigated by the goddamn FBI to see that he wasn't a fucking German agent and shit. And then now I have to hear all the anti-Semitism that's going on in the world. And it, it rankles me, uh, I would say. Uh, I, I don't see that uh, uh, what the point of fighting World War II was if you're going to um, all of a sudden re-adjudicate it now. And I use the word adjudicate it now. <laughs> Um, so Joe Nicklin Silver made this awesome movie where it's almost all in Yiddish and Carol Kane is where she got her start. Then she wanted to make another picture and um, fantastically she went in to meet with studio execs about this movie here and this is what uh, one of the studio execs said to her. Um, Feature films are expensive to make and expensive to market and women directors are one more problem we don't need. <laughs> You know, I don't know if you know any men, but I've worked with a bunch of them over the years. 
And I find that uh, men can be accommodating and uh, collegial, uh, humorous, offhand. Uh, they can set you at your ease. And they can also be um, enormous dickheads and dig in and be intractable and horrible and childish and have their little ego bruised at the smallest fucking thing and never let it go till the end of fucking time. Um, and yet uh, men, a man told her that women directors are one more problem we don't need. Because you see a man's brain is arrested in the lizard stage between the fish and the bird stage of embryonics. And so they think, I don't need another problem. What will I do? I'll eliminate more than half the people of the earth. And that'll make my problem easier to deal with. And then she was also told when she was making Hester Street, and this one, I'm hysterical, but I'm, I have my doubts about you guys. Jews are 2% of the population, she was told by the studio. My understanding is that superheroes are even less than 2% of the population, and yet they make fucking movies about them all the time. Um, and then she said back to them, well, maybe somebody will come to the movie besides Jews. Just throwing it out there. Uh, and then fantastically was told, okay, look, if you make the movie about Italians, we'll make this movie. The movie about Jews coming to... <laughs> if you just switch it from Jews to Italians, everything will be cool because The Godfather was really popular. <laughs> Thank you. That one made me laugh as well. Uh, Joan Micklin Silver did this on a, a play based by Susan Sadler. And um, the reason this picture got made is, um, one, she was tenacious about it. But two, she cast Amy Irving and... Amy Irving at the time well, uh, just married Steven Spielberg. So Steven Spielberg got her a deal with Warner Brothers. And the deal was that they could look at the movie, but they couldn't touch it. So she showed them the movie, and they had all kinds of fucking notes. You need to cut this. You need to move this. You need to do this. It's too Jewy. There's too many bagels. There's too many pickles. Oh, my God, there's people speaking Yiddish. And she went, fuck you. I have control of the cut of this movie. And so the picture you see is the picture Joan Micklin Silver uh, was realized uh, all on her own. And just a, a small finishing word about Jewish women who make pictures. Um, Jewish women made um, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, and Something's Gotta Give and uh, Yentl and Clueless, you guys. So uh, but it's really an awesome time of year uh, here at, during Christmas to celebrate uh, Jewish women's contribution to cinema. Uh, as yeah, and thank you for applauding. A good comedian would end there. Sadly, you're saddled with me. Uh, no, I, I will end it right there because I think it's a beautiful uh, uh, sentiment to end on. And I want to thank you very much for coming out uh, to see the picture uh, today. Uh, during, and I wish you a beautiful holiday season and nothing but peace and love and joy and nothing but um, mazel for the new year. So uh, here we are with 1988's classic chosen by my wife, Jennifer, who curates all of the movies. And no, she's not Jewish. She's a shiksa, but she has a lot of fucking taste, you guys. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you right now Crossing Delancey from 1988.